This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss how your medications may be impacting your sleep with pharmacist Andy Donald. We'll learn whether the blood type diet is right for you with researcher David Nelson. We'll talk about mindfulness, anxiety, big emotions, and avoidance with mindfulness expert Tracy Segrati. And lastly, we'll learn how to deal with those bags under your eyes with skin and beauty expert V Mystery. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. In a convergence of fun and science, and in order to find out about how different aspects of music influence the body, researchers at McMaster University turned a live electronic music concert into a lab study by introducing levels of bass over speakers that were too low to hear and monitoring the crowd's movements Scientists found that people danced 11.8% more when the very low frequency of bass was present. Researchers at Trinity College Dublin have participated in the largest and most rigorous clinical trial to date of sibicillin, a psychoactive ingredient in magic mushrooms, pointing to the possibility that COMP360 sibicillin with psychological support could be a beneficial therapeutic strategy for people with treatment-resistant depression. Good news for those who struggle to fit a gym workout into their day. You may be able to cut your weight routines in half and still see the same results. New research from Edith Cowan University has shown one type of muscle contraction is most effective at increasing muscle strength and muscle size. And rather than lifting weights, the emphasis should actually be on lowering them. The study found that those who only lowered a weight saw the same improvements as those who raised and lowered weights despite only performing half of the number of repetitions. Edith Cowan University's professor Ken Nosaka said the result reinforced previous research indicating a focus on eccentric muscle contractions, in which activated muscles are lengthened, is more important to increasing strength and size of muscles rather than volume. That was your tonic quick shot. I'll be joined by Andy Donald in a moment. But first, a little bit of business. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Andy Donald is a certified geriatric pharmacist and president of the Health Depot Pharmacy. His passion to help patients and deliver personalized services led him to launch the Health Depot, one of Ontario's only clinical pharmacies. He's active in his profession, serving on several committees, including with the Ontario Pharmacists Association and Prescribe It. Andy holds a BSC PHM and an RPH BPHED 
a BSCH in life science, and an MSc cellular biology and anatomy. That's a lot. I think we discussed that last time, Andy. Welcome back. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Jamie. Nice to be back. So I hear about our topic today probably more than any other topic when people reach out to me, and that is a good night's sleep. So I'm glad you're here today to help us from a pharmacological perspective and a pharmacist perspective. But let's start at the beginning. What is a good night's sleep? Absolutely. Thanks, uh, Jamie. It's definitely one of the topics that people probably need the most help with, right? And it's uh, probably the most poorly taught in healthcare at the moment. But yes, what a normal night's sleep is six to eight hours, depending on the individual, of uninterrupted sleep. Awakening the next morning refreshed, both physically and mentally, clear-headed with no daytime grogginess issues. And unfortunately, it seems easy by just saying it, but usually about half of Canadians have poor sleep, right? And have a difficulty falling asleep. So that's why it's such a big problem. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we don't get a good night's sleep, obviously we're not feeling our best. Sometimes that can last the whole day. Are there health risks if we don't get enough sleep? Well, absolutely. Like, especially over time, right? Yeah, yeah. The greatest risks, obviously, can eventually lead even to heart disease, stroke, diabetes, weakened immune system so you can get more infections. It can help you increase the, putting on weight, leading to obesity, a lot of different things, but also generally just makes you not feel good, less empathetic. You don't recover as much from the day, you're less energetic, and you can actually speed up aging process in your body as well. Okay, that's a lot. Let's get to the mechanics. Very important. Yeah, no, that, trust me, like I, I'm trying to lose some weight right now. And part of the struggle is making sure I get good sleep because when I get good sleep, the weight comes off a lot faster. Absolutely. Your body regenerates and if both physically, mentally and everything. If you don't get enough of that, it just downregulates everything. Like, yeah, your blood pressure goes up, stress, anxiety. Absolutely. It's very important to get a good night's sleep. Okay, so let's talk about sort of the stages of sleep so people understand it from a physiological perspective. Yeah. What are the stages of sleep? So this has always been kind of confusing for a lot of people, and it's tough to kind of understand. There's different organizations that say there's four stages of sleep or five. The most important thing is I like to describe it as a sideways lightning bolt, okay? Okay. So where you go from light sleep to deep sleep, and you ping pong between deep sleep and light sleep. And light sleep is rapid eye movement or dream sleep. And deep sleep is the kind of sleep when, you know, you go into it half an hour into your night. And it's kind of like if you have a significant other or family member, and you're wondering if they're breathing, if they're alive, right? Like that's the deep sleep where your body's just comatose. You can't even hardly see them breathing. You almost want to poke them with a stick to see if they're alive. That's deep sleep. So the most two important stages in sleep as you ping pong between the deep sleep and light sleep are the deep sleep and the dream sleep. So deep sleep, it's what causes our body to get tired in the first place. The need to regenerate your body, it goes in kind of total shutdown. This is the sleep where we clear all the toxins out of our body, our cells. This generally, it's like the need to go into deep sleep is like how you regenerate your muscles. Mm -hmm. And if you're growing, this is why babies sleep like 18 hours a day. And as we get older, the less active we are, the less we need to go into deep sleep, right? But that's actually what causes the need to go to sleep. So that's what deep sleep is. Very, very important to regenerate ourselves. But then between regenerating ourselves, also we need to exercise our brain. That's what dream sleep is. Dreams have a purpose. Dreams can help us consolidate new memory and learning. 
So that's why you see it go like a lightning bolt. So after exercising your brain a little bit with the dream, then you need to rest and recover. So then you go right back down to deep sleep. And then from there, you go back up to exercising your brain and then back down to deep sleep. It goes in a whole zigzag pattern with the earlier night being more of the deep sleep recovery and then more time later in the night in early morning spent in dream sleep. So that's kind of what the net regular sleep cycle is, and it's why it kind of zigzags back and forth, and it's important to make sure you get enough of the dream and the deep sleep. Okay, well, that's very well explained. Now I've got the $64,000 question for you, and that is, and I'm experiencing this now, why does it seem that we are getting less restful sleep as we age? Yeah, and there's lots of reasons, right? But the yeah. two main reasons are that we don't actually have as much hormones. Our body slows down in all aspects, and we actually release less hormones that regulate our sleep. And we also are typically less active as we age. So because of that, we uh, don't go, need to go in as much of a deep sleep. And the more you go into a deep sleep, the more that sets you into that good, nice, big zigzag pattern that can help you stay asleep throughout the night. So... As we're less active, we don't go into deep sleep as much, so we go into lighter sleep, and then we can wake up more in the night. But with the hormones, okay, there's two main hormones that regulate our sleep. You, uh, you probably, everyone's heard of our sleep-wake cycle, right, our circadian rhythm, people call it, right? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the main ones that regulate that are serotonin, which is your happy-awake hormone, and that's why actually a lot of drugs are serotonin reuptake inhibitors actually helps give you more of that happy hormone. And the one that helps you go to sleep is melatonin. They're actually almost the same molecule and our body converts them into from serotonin to melatonin and melatonin to serotonin, believe it or not. We make less of these as we age. So what serotonin does, this is also why when you wake up in the morning and it's light out, you're happier, right? Because believe it or not, like light hitting the back of your eyes, your retina, even through your eyelids when you're sleeping, causes us to make that happy hormone, serotonin. And we stop making the sleep hormone, melatonin, right? Mm-hmm. But then when light doesn't hit the back of our eyes, about an hour after that stops, then that's when our body makes melatonin. And it kind of peaks four hours after lights are out. That's why it's important to have darkness in your room, and especially also things like not doing screen time, like your you know, blue light. You've probably heard this from your computer, your television, or your cell phone. As long as that's hit in the back of your eyes, the room could be dark, but that's stopping you from making the sleep hormone melatonin. So then you're not going to sleep as quickly. So that's why both of those hormones, unfortunately, as we age, we make less of. So that's why it's a little more difficult to fall asleep sometimes as we get older, but also more difficult to get up and be happy in the morning as well. So that also can affect us as well, besides the activity. Okay. So that's sort of within our bodies, and that's why sleep changes as we get older. But there are external impacts to our sleep, right? There are things that we do and things that we take that may impact our sleep. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with medications, alcohol? Where do you want to go? Absolutely. So we can talk about maybe at first, like, you know, regular meds, right? Because there's so many different medications that can affect those, like serotonin, affect our hormones and throw us off if taken at the wrong time, can affect our sleep, can keep us up, make us wake up in the middle of the night, things like that, right? So it expands from all medications. We can't go through the whole list, but mood medications, diabetes, heart disease, pain pills, all these meds can have an effect on our sleep. But so that's why it's important that when you take the medications, you know, you, you work together with your doctor and your pharmacist. And if you're having problems sleeping, have a good deep dive, a medication review on your medications. Make sure you're taking them at the right times. Because there's lots of times where people take a mood medication at nighttime, like an SSRI, which is a serotonin 
serotonin-specific reuptake inhibitor, right? Yep. If you take that at nighttime, I just told you that's your awake hormone. So you're getting more awake hormone at bedtime. So that's why those medications are best to be taken first thing in the morning. So all medications you have, there's a reason why the time of day we're recommending you take medications because they can throw off your sleep for sure. Okay. So where do you want to go next? Do you want to talk about medications that are to help you get a good night's sleep and discuss um, Sure. It? Well, I can talk about alcohol first because that's yeah. like the one that really a lot of people ask about because yes, it does help you fall asleep. But this is kind of sets the tone for certain medications for sleep or help you with sleep quality, but certain ones hurt you. Right. And it's because they can be similar to what they're doing to you like alcohol does. Yes. So I'd like to tell the story about what alcohol does to you in the sense that if you remember the last time you went to a wedding that you got a little silly, could have been like, you know, years ago now because of the pandemic, but it's starting to get there again, right? Yep. And if you got a little too silly, instead of one or two glasses of wine, you had one or two bottles of wine, okay? Right. You had a All little right. bit too much fun. You probably fell asleep that night and slept for eight to nine hours, but you woke up the next day feeling like you slept for four to five, and it took you days to recover. The reason for that is, is you went into a very light, not very fulfilling sleep. That lightning bolt I told you about, you squished it. You didn't go into that deep sleep as much to regenerate your cells, and you didn't go into the dream sleep as much. That helps consolidate new memories, and that's why you wake up the next day feeling groggy and like crap, because it's not, that is what the important part of sleep quality is, right? You might have slept for eight or nine hours, but you didn't get good sleep quality. That's what alcohol does to us. I find with alcohol, I can fall asleep. I can't stay asleep. And, you know, obviously there are other impacts physically, like it dehydrates you, right? So I find yeah. like I have to wake up and I have to drink water. So I never think of alcohol as a real sleep tool. Like no. it, it, it doesn't really help. That would be no, it dehydrates you, can give you headache, obviously it does yeah. tons of things to your body, right? It's a diuretic, so that's how it makes you go pee more. You're right in the middle of the night, then you're dehydrated the next day, you get headaches, it does a lot of things to your body. Yeah. But it also, the main thing is like it also depresses, and instead of that quality of sleep, the deep and the dream sleep, you get into this in-between sleep that is like a restless sleep is what it is. Okay, we've done alcohol, where do you want to go next? What do you want to talk about next? So about sleep and medications, right? So yeah. there are, it's like a nice, this is probably one of the worst classes of medications done, unfortunately, right now, because typically we've been focused on amount of sleep and falling asleep rather than sleep quality, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'll kind of warn it's certain classes of medications that are probably not the greatest for sleep, right? Mm -hmm. And shouldn't be used where there are some other alternatives that can help, right? Always like sleep is the main topic that lifestyle, and we can talk about that coming up, and changes you can do there are the best way to start, right? We want to reach for the sleep medications as a last resort when you've tried to do all the other lifestyle and, and you know, normal changes in your life, right? Like not drinking caffeine at, at night, all these kind of things. Yep. Because medications can have a drastic effect on our quality of sleep. And actually one of the biggest classes that I warn about, we talk about this in our medication overuse talk and whatnot, is that anticholinergic drugs, right? These are the medications that cause us to be drowsy, blurred vision, dizzy, confused, constipated, issues with their bladder, dry mouth, right? That a lot of older adults sense because a lot of medications are like that. But these anticholinergic drugs also get rid of that dream sleep we talked about, right? The dream sleep that's important for consolidating new memories and learning. And unfortunately, a lot of the medications used for sleep right now obliterate your dream sleep, right? Wow. Okay. So it can have an effect on your memory long term. Antipsychotics like quetiapine are often given for sleep. That medication and that class should not be given to seniors at all because they actually even have a black box warning besides all those anticholinergic effects 
They can also cause, unfortunately, cardiac attack and death sometimes, rarely, right? So that's why they're one of the beers list meds and you shouldn't be taking them. Hmm. Amitriptyline, antihistamine, ruin your sleep quality, right? And your body gets adjusted to them and they don't have the same effect over time, right? But by far the worst class of drugs uh, for sleep are the sleep hypnotics, okay, which are the benzodiazepines, and zopicone is a benzodiazepine, imovane. So is any drug really ending in PAM? If your name's PAM, I apologize ahead. <laughs> but it's like lorazepam, uh, temazepam, clonazepam, there's trifluorazepam, like there's so many different types of PAMs, right? Anything yeah. in PAM is a benzo. And it does all those anticholinergic side effects, but it does even more towards that alcohol-induced, doesn't even let you go in this deep sleep as much quality because it does all those side effects, but also can have an effect as we get older on causing you to have amnesia where you forget a whole chunk of your day. It puts you in a stupor and it can increase risk of falls and broken hips. It's for this reason, actually, that many European countries have started to ban these drugs, such as Sweden, Denmark, and the UK, where if you're over the age of 70 and you're taking one of those sleep hypnotics, uh, they can see that because they have the provincial drug, like the federal drug plans over there, right? Yep. That they will take away your driver's license. Oh, wow. Okay. Because there was a recent study that even found that if you take one of those long-acting forms of benzos, you're just as likely to get in a car accident the next morning as a drunk driver. Wow. They really can impede your senses and you get, put you into that stupor. But don't panic. I mean, if you're on some of these bad meds that I just mentioned for sleep quality, right, you can change and get off them. But one's like you just have to do that with guidance and we can switch on to something safer with guidance of your doctor and, and a clinical pharmacist, right? Benzos can take you. You can't stop any of these meds and any meds abruptly, and especially by yourself, these sleep hypnotics to come safely off them can take sometimes six months to a year of slow titrating and coming off. They're just as addictive and what happens, your body adapts and your body changes to the drug and needs more and more of it to have the same effect. And if you don't get that drug, then you get the opposite effects, which is like, you know, insomnia, heart racing, uh, anxiety, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes lightning bolts, sometimes people get seizures if you just abruptly stop these drugs. So it's important for you to, if you want to come off them with guidance, they're atrocious, a lot of Older adults especially shouldn't be on them. We can just take you down on them slowly with, you know, working together with your doctor. So, Andy, we ran out of time today, but I wanted to cover so much more. Will you come back next time and and we'll do part two of this? Absolutely. I think it's a good idea now that we've kind of defined some of the problems, but let's go to the solutions. What are the good, safe meds and lifestyle and other things like even cannabis that can help you with sleep? Absolutely. There you go, because I'm, I'm conducting a little self-experiment on that, and I'd love your input on it, okay? Yeah, I would love to hear more about that, for sure. Looking forward to it. For great health and wellness articles and interviews, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll discuss the blood type diet on The Tonic. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic. 
your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. David Nelson is a fellow at Invivo Planetary Health, a part of the Nova Institute for Health of People, Places, and Planet, located in Baltimore, Maryland. He attended the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. He is a health food retail and wellness services business owner, and he's written numerous academic articles. His latest establishes the importance of acid-alkaline balance in the foods we eat, and he lives in Woodstock with his family. Welcome to the show, David. Good to hear from you again. How are you? Good to be back. Doing well. So today we're doing something a little bit different that we haven't done in ages and ages. We have a listener who wrote me an email about the blood type diet and how it works for her. And frankly, I didn't know a lot about it. And when I don't know a lot about something, I call you in. Okay, so so I thought you could help us with this. Sound like a plan? Absolutely. All right, so what is the theory behind it? So just a disclaimer, I do know the author. I mean, in the world of naturopathic medicine, it is a small world. So I know Peter uh, Dadamo is a very smart man. But when you make a statement as strong as he made in 1996 about the blood typing diet, it's your baby, you know, so you you protect it. So what is the blood typing diet? What did he discover? His idea was that your blood type, A, B, A, D, or O, those are the four major blood types. Evolutionarily, they came out of situations and environments and created differences. Right. So... If you had an O blood type, maybe it meant that you needed something that an A blood type didn't. And that that was the premise behind it, is that evolution provided the blood group, and then you needed to eat or exercise or be accordingly. Okay. So does the theory make sense? Like, is it grounded? Well, you know what? That's a phenomenal question. Because I think in 1996, we knew nothing about the microbiome at that point. And so you would look in in, in other places. And there were some signals in the science that blood type had something to do with how well we felt based on, you know, maybe some foods. Right. But as we move forward, we now need to put a kind of a a fence around like 40 plus blood groups. And some are really rare, but it doesn't mitigate the fact that there's more to the story than just A, O, B, or A, B. Right. So that's kind of an idea behind it. But the idea is that blood has antigens on it. So that this is another part. So you have a blood, a circular blood vessel, red blood vessel. Mm-hmm. And what you can't see when you look at a picture of that is that there's little tiny molecules all over the surface of that. And they're called little antigens. And these are blood antigens that, that we have. So the reason why this is important is actually in pregnancy. So when we see when mom and dad have differing blood types where they have a different rhesus factor that's A positive or B positive versus A negative or B negative, Mm -hmm. then the first pregnancy, mom's okay, baby's okay. But the second pregnancy, if there's a mismatch, mom's immune system actually doesn't like the fact that baby has a different blood type. And so the immune system potentially can cause a rejection of the fetus and you end up with a miscarriage. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there can be serious complications. So there is something here, but when we make really broad, sweeping, almost siloed approaches to diet, uh, to be honest with you, Jamie, I'm not a fan. I'm more of a lifestyle guy. Yeah, I know that about you, and I think regular listeners know that about me as well. Here's my take on it. If somebody wants to lose weight for whatever reason, 
I'm supportive of that because I had my own personal journey where I lost a lot of weight and I understand what it means to lose that weight and how it impacts your overall health. And if a certain type of diet helps you get there, God bless. Mm -hmm. And if it works for you, fantastic. But I don't know that it translates to everybody. And the real issue for me is sustainability because after I lost my weight, which occurred when I was 38 and now I'm 56, the real trick is maintaining it. And I don't know that some of these restrictive diets necessarily lend themselves to long-term weight and maintenance, I'll call it. Yeah. And I think that it's very true. With people that I work with, what I find is a lot of people are a little bit lost when it comes to very specifically to weight loss. And so getting into some type of paradigm that has a series of things that you need to do, just for interest sake, let's talk about what the suggestion is. Yeah. That what, what you should eat if you are a type O, type A, type B, type AB, just to give your listeners an idea of like, this is the approach. So a type O blood type, that's the longest evolutionary blood type. Those people were hunters. So the suggestion is that we should have high protein foods with meat and fish, fruit, vegetables, but limitations on grains, beans, legumes, for example. Then, you know, the suggestion for type A's are more fruits, vegetables, tofu, seafood, turkey, whole grains. That's more of your, what we, what you would classically call, quote unquote, the vegetarian type. Yep. Then you have a, a mixed type. That's the B type, fruit, meat, dairy, or dairy, seafood, and grains. And then the AB type, they can also do that and they can eat a little bit more red meat like lamb and stuff like that. But the suggestion for AB types is that things like um, corn and buckwheat, kidney beans stuff, they should be avoided. Even though things like buckwheat and corn, they don't have any gluten in them or anything like that. It's just that the suggestion is that they don't do well with uh, with people based on the, the contents of the food. So that's just a good example of, so some people need that strategy. Right. And what I find with this diet is that actually people cut out a lot of bad food too at the same time. Right. So they get into the eating program and it's actually the absence of that bad food and the presence of the better food that's actually getting them the help. But you can really apply some of these things to keto and vegetarianism and different things too, where frankly, it works well for those it works well for. Yeah. And the interesting thing is like in reading about this type of diet, it's classified as a restrictive diet. And yeah. so you'll, you'll almost invariably get a result from a restrictive diet. So like, yes, you're going to lose weight with it. The question becomes like, how do you feel about it while you're doing it? Like if you're cutting out all mm-hmm. these things, how do you feel from day to day, number one? And number two, yeah. it's, you know, the overriding principle is also that you're going to eat organic foods, which is great. I mean, we certainly yeah. we certainly support that on this show, but it mm-hmm. becomes, you know, like if you are eating organics and you're eating a lot of meat, well, I can tell you that is not a cheap diet. It's not it's not a cost efficient diet. That, and, and it may not be sus- true. It may be not be sustainable for somebody unless they want to pay a much greater proportion of their income, wealth, etc., on just feeding themselves. So That's you know, true. And then the other thing that we should talk about just really quickly, yeah. Jamie, is that there's usually a, another side piece behind these diets that yeah. sell supplemental packages. Correct. Yeah. So you get supplements that are supposed to help you on your journey, and they usually do because people are nutritionally deficient. So that's just another another thing to note is that, you know, for example, if you're a if you have stress and you're a B blood type, you know, then maybe you should take and I mean this is just maybe you should take B vitamins. Right. Uh, yeah. Ashwagandha, the you know, uh, for O blood types or if you're 
you know, it's just like, so people like to be classified, you know. So when I think of myself, I'll just throw a couple things out there because I'm a Leafs fan and a Jays fan. So I'm like a Canadian who likes the Jays and the Leafs. Right. Well, that identifies me, right? So then if I'm talking about blood typing, it's like I'm a type O and these are the things that I can eat. It gives you clarity and you can make rapid decisions. So there's actually merit to it yeah. from that perspective. Yes. And, you know, it is a, it's one of those things that's a comprehensive program, right? Like it includes suggested mm-hmm. exercise as well, depending on your blood yes, type. That's correct. And so, you know, in doing all those things, like I wonder about the efficacies. It's kind of like you're all in or you're all out. Like I don't know if you cherry pick some of the elements of this diet, whether it would be as effective. I would want to hear from somebody who's actually doing it. Feel free to write in and let me know, yeah. you know, like, are you following the supplement regimen? Are you following the exercise regimen that comes along with this restrictive diet? And how long have you been doing it? I'd be interested to hear, you know. Thanks for saying that because that's actually a really good question. Is that, you know, if you're going to prescribe a restrictive diet, sometimes it's necessary. Like, let's say keto does have a place, for example. Yeah. So this is just an example. Yep. But it also has a time that it should end. Correct. It should have a time that it should end and you should rebroaden your exposure to a wide array of foods. So if there's one thing that your listeners can grab from this thing that we're doing with this talk that we're talking about today about blood typing, blood type diet, is that learn the principles of wellness from this. If you're going to do it and clean up your diet and you're going to really focus on eating clean and you're going to follow some of these things, do it for a certain period of time and then when you feel great, expand your open it up again because your microbiome actually needs a wide diverse array of foods in order to feel its best. Agreed. And I would say this, in researching this, both you and I looked at this, there is actually no scientific study that either supports or denies the efficacies of this diet. So what does that mean? Yeah, that's right. There's no real clinical trials that are placebo-controlled, double-blind studies where people who were blood type O ate exactly like that, supplemented like that, and exercised like that, and had this outcome. And it was, here's the key piece, it was reproducible. Right. So if that's true, what that means is it may very well work for you, and it may be exactly as you say, the type of framework that is necessary for someone like you Mm -hmm. to lose weight. And God bless. I wouldn't say that it's bad. I just don't know that it works for everybody, nor could I point to anything scientific to say, yes, it's absolutely going to work for you, and it's the way to go. So. Yeah, and before our call today, Jamie, just to confirm, yeah, I wanted to do a deep literature search just to make sure that that was true, and that is true. There is nothing in in the scientific literature that adds that validation. And just to be clear for your listeners again, there is validation for certain types of diets. For sure. Like the mind diet, which is for dementia and, and the brain, the Mediterranean diet. There's a lot of efficacy there, right? So, and it's published and it's reproducible. So we know the outcomes and we can reliably predict those outcomes for people. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. What do you want to talk? Absolutely, ta- Jamie. What do you want to talk about the next time you're on? You know what? I uh, one of the things that I'm looking into right now is biophotomodulation or red light therapy. So maybe we'll throw that down. Excellent. We need to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss mindfulness and anxiety on the tonic. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. Medicinal mushrooms offer a multitude of health benefits, including immune support, 
improved energy, and stress reduction. Medicinal mushroom extracts from New Roots Herbal, hot water extracted, providing you validated potency so you get their full health benefits. Discover Reishi, Lion's Mane, or Resilience, a seven-mushroom blend. Find the complete selection of medicinal mushroom extracts from New Roots Herbal exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit newrootsherbal.com. To ensure the products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Tracy Sograti has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years of experience in leading classes, workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for a deeply meaningful life at any stage. You can find her at www.sogratiyoga.com, Sograti Yoga on Facebook, or at Tracy Sograti on Instagram. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. It's always good to be here. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Guess what? We're talking about mindfulness again. Go figure. <laughs> surprise, surprise, everyone. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and what isn't it good for, right? Exactly. It is a Swiss yeah. army knife tool for everybody. Gosh, I'm going to steal that from you. Yeah. Just like quote me. You can use it to say, I yeah, think no I think problem. Jamie, I think Jamie Busson said that. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about anxiety and avoidance. Um, yeah. So what is the relationship between anxiety and avoidance? Yeah, it's actually a pretty intimate relationship, and it's something that's been coming up with my clients a lot lately. So I thought, oh, I have to bring this in with Jamie. Yep. So anxiety, like the big picture understanding that we have of anxiety is that it's the overestimation of threat. Right, so we overestimate how scary or hard or uncomfortable an event is going to be. Mm-hmm. And then we underestimate our ability to cope with whatever that event is because as soon as we've overestimated how threatening it is, our system thinks that it's a threat. And the underestimation of our own abilities or our own self-concept basically predicts and promotes anxiety. And then the discrepancy between those two things, right? So how scary we think something is and how capable we believe we are at handling said thing will trigger protective behaviors. Does that make sense so far? Well, it sounds like the root cause of my procrastination. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's exactly it. Like it's it's so intimately Uh, associated with procrastination, which is just really a form of avoidance. And listen to this, like a protective behavior. So, okay, so we're in a situation, we perceive it as threatening, we don't feel like we can handle it. Mm -hmm. We can go in, in sort of two directions. So on one hand, we'll either become highly perfectionistic, and I know that this is pretty familiar to you. Yep. Because the way to manage how threatening something is, is to get everything right and to avoid, avoid any mistakes. And the other thing, the only other path is like if you're not being totally perfect and you don't feel that you're capable, is to avoid. Yep, 100%. But both of those things are obviously just defense mechanisms that we have. And what I like to remind clients, especially around anxiety and avoidance, is that you know, our defense mechanisms or protective mechanisms, you can use either of those terms, are born out of trying to keep ourselves safe. 
And we can't change a particular behavioral pattern unless we acknowledge. And in many ways, and this is where it sounds kind of hokey and woo-woo, for some people anyway, Mm -hmm. in many ways we have to learn to thank ourselves for developing that mechanism at all because it probably saved us psychologically in in some circumstance at some time. But long-term, avoidance especially causes all kinds of problems. Well, it also feeds into the anxiety, right? I mean... Yeah, yeah. And and you're exactly right, Jamie. Like, it's a negative cycle. So as soon as you avoid something, right, it feels good initially. This is that... Yeah. It's immediate gratification. I'm not going to do what I have to do because it's scary. So la, la, la. Oh, I feel better. I'm not doing it, right? And then... But it's still there, right? Like, you know... Well, and it grows bigger, right? Yeah, of course. The pressure intensifies or... Even, you know, one thing that I think about a lot with people, because it's something that everyone avoids, is uncomfortable conversations. Well, except for maybe you. Like, you procrastinate, but I don't think you would necessarily avoid an uncomfortable conversation. But this is pretty common. It's like, oh, this conversation's going to be so uncomfortable, or this person's going to get mad, or they're going to, like, whatever. They're going to do whatever. And so we avoid saying something that actually really needs to be said. But it grows and grows and grows, and then the other person can feel the avoidance, yeah. and and so then it actually perpetuates itself because the person might react quite negatively by the time we actually attend to the thing we're avoiding, right? Yep. Yeah. It's my procrastination is very sort of issue specific, right? Yeah. Like, and you know, like, and what's really interesting is I have this aversion to filling out forms. And can, can you imagine being a lawyer for a twenty lawyer. Uh, for twenty years and having an aversion to filling forms? It was one of well, the kids. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I quit the practice. It was making me crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah, so you would just put it off until you had to sit down and just like do like a hundred forms. That's well, no, did. it's, uh, I mean, of course I would not miss deadlines because that would make me negligent, but yeah. it, it would cause me physical stress, like oh. physical. And it manifested in me becoming obese. You know, I, I would eat my, yeah. I would eat to make myself feel better when I was avoiding yeah. these things that needed to be done. And, exactly. uh, and of course, when you start doing that, when you start avoiding, it becomes harder and harder to deal with it, I think. Absolutely. It grows, right? The thing that you're avoiding grows in our perception of how threatening it is. It just grows and grows and grows. And it's such a great example that you gave, like eating your way out of it. When we do those other behaviors, those self-soothing behaviors, because we're avoiding something really big, it creates all kinds of other problems in our life. Yeah that, you know, push us into negative cycles that are just going to erode our health, erode our mental health, erode our physical health. And it's, it's hard to get out of it. Okay. So you wanted to discuss big feelings. So yeah. how do, like, what does that mean in the context of this and how does it come into play? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wanted to bring this in because we talk so much about anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And when I'm thinking about avoidance, Avoidance is often about many kinds of feelings. And if I could do, you know, one thing before I die when I'm sort of working with groups of people or clients, it would be to facilitate greater emotional literacy. So Mm -hmm. just more awareness of all of the range of emotions that we have and increase people's capacity and tolerance to handle all kinds of big emotions. And the reason for that is because all of our emotions, like they motivate action. They're just messengers, right? Feelings are messengers. They trigger thoughts and the thoughts trigger behaviors that move us towards or away from what matter to us. Now, if we're having a big feeling, like let's throw out an example, jealousy. Yep. 
okay? Rage, right? And we avoid feeling the feeling. Then what happens instead is the feeling becomes this pressure, but it's so uncomfortable for us that there has to be a way for the body if we're not naming it, right? So just the act of actually naming an emotion Mm-hmm. soothes your amygdala, which is your threat perception center in your brain, right? So if we skip that little step, and it's such a tiny thing, just as I am feeling jealous or I am feeling angry and mm-hmm. understanding it, if we skip that, then what happens is we will execute a reactive behavior that, you know, can really make our life go to hell, right? yep. if I can say that on the yeah, no, for like sure. It, yeah. it, it really will. And so avoidance, right, like certainly anxiety and avoidance are related, but I would say that avoidance is something we do with all big feelings that we are intolerant of, either because no one taught us how to be with them, no one taught us how to name them, or they might be big feelings that are associated with the fact that our fundamental needs as human beings aren't being met. And like an example of our fundamental needs is like our need for connection, our need for autonomy, which is just really freedom, Mm -hmm. and our need for competence, right? So say we have fundamental needs that aren't being met and then big feelings in reaction to that. And if we can't name it and understand it, then, you know, because we're simply avoiding those feelings, that perpetuates all kinds of behaviors that screw up our lives. Whereas if we could just turn towards, move towards feeling and naming things without necessarily doing anything with the feelings, that would actually change the trajectory of the choices that we make. Because you are acknowledging consciously what the issue is? It allows you to deal with it? Is is that what you're saying? I would say it's actually even simpler than that, Jamie. Like just, it literally goes down back to that idea of threat perception in your brain. So as soon as you name something, it's less threatening. And so you can be with the feelings. Feelings are super transient. So they're somatic. They happen in your body. And it takes about 90 seconds for us to process them. Right? So if we avoid it, the feeling actually builds and builds and builds. Okay? It, mm-hmm. it keeps like reproducing itself. But if you name it, your body's like, oh, that's fear. Or, oh, that's jealousy. And then the physical sensation of it will actually start to decrease, right? It will, your body will acclimate to it, and there will no longer be that action tendency to want to do something to get rid of it, hmm. right? So literally, it's about not avoiding feeling the sensation of the feeling. Okay. That it's so simplistic, right? Like, yeah. it's so simplistic. It's very simple. It, yep. You don't have to break it down. You don't have to analyze it unnecessarily. And I think it would, A, I think it would save people a lot of money. I think, you know, people wouldn't need my services as much. Yeah, you're putting yourself out of business. Yeah. Yeah, but it helps. And it's such an easy fix. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today to explain that. What would you like to discuss the next time we're on? I want to discuss mindfulness and diabetes and like a Swiss Army knife, how those two go together. Fantastic. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to get rid of those bags under your eyes. Not you personally, but anybody on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. 
They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. V Mystery is a certified skin therapist and founder of Skin by V, a private facial studio in Toronto that specializes in awakening the skin through personalized and science-backed treatments. Skin by V also sells a selection of curated luxury skincare products, both online and in store. With more than 25 years of experience in the beauty industry, V has worked on thousands of faces and has developed a highly tailored approach to the art of facials. Welcome back to the show, V. How are you? I'm very good, Jamie. How are you doing? Okay, so generally, I'm very good, but you're here today for a specific purpose. Uh, Yeah, because this show is mostly about me and I have bags under my eyes. And, okay, let's get rid of them. Right? Like, it's like, you know, otherwise I'm a Greek god, but... Yeah. <laughs> I love this self-love. It's really good for us. Yeah, no, it, it's very self-deprecating. Don't kid yourself. <laughs> so what are the causes of bags under the eyes? I have my suspicions, but I want to hear it from you. Yeah, so there could be a number of different reasons. It could be medication that somebody is on. It could be a lack of sleep. It could be, you know, if somebody is you know, exhausted. If someone's on even a different time shift, so let's say if we're looking at doctors, nurses, people who are working into the nighttime as opposed to like, you know, the nine to fives or whatever that looks like, it could be the fact that we have been drinking a little bit too much alcohol, we have less water intake. So it could be a number of different reasons for those bags under the eyes. Okay. And for those who don't know, I mean, it's kind of obvious. Obvious, but what are the symptoms of having bags under the eyes? Yeah, so what you're going to see is it's going to look incredibly puffy right underneath the eyes. And if you touch it just really gently, it's almost like, think about it like almost like a waterbed. And that water is just like moving around underneath the bed. And so that's what it would almost visually look like. I hope you can visualize this. I'm touching my eyes right now. (laughs) I think all the listeners are touching their eyes right now. That's good. That's good. If as you touch it really gentle, you can feel it's almost got like a little bit of movement to it. That's typically what you will see, but it will be very puffy underneath there. It, sometimes in worst case scenarios for clients of mine who have been on certain medications for different health concerns, they may even notice that there's a little bit of like a, a purple sort of hue, maybe yeah. a darkening yeah. um, in that area. That I would typically say is more related to when someone is on certain types of medication and you know there's a whole list of medications that could do that but those are kind of what you would see typically okay and if one has bags under their eyes is it possible that there may be an underlying medical condition yeah if you haven't gone to see your doctor i would definitely always recommend going to see your doctor making sure like you know if you've crossed up all the things on your checklist like you know i'm getting enough sleep i'm drinking enough water i'm well rested i'm not on any medication that do say it could result in this. You know, typically I'm healthy. 
I would say if those bags are still quite prominent, they do have a different color tone underneath them, definitely go see your doctor. Okay. And it may just be genetics, right? Some of us just kind of have the gene where like if your parents had bags under their eyes, maybe you have bags under your eyes. Is that possible? With that, I'm always hesitant to say Okay. with with the bags under the eyes, I'm always hesitant to say it's more genetics. If we're talking about like, you know, if the under eye area is really hollowing, if there's more like that facial structure, which is, you know, different, like I said, that hollowing underneath the eyes, that bone structure, that I would say is more genetic. But the bags under the eyes, I think there's sometimes some easy solutions and sometimes solutions that may require a little bit more of a plastic surgeon or a doctor, as we mentioned. Okay, so before we get to the plastic surgeon, are there any lifestyle choices that we can make? I mean, the obvious one is try and get a good night's sleep, right? Absolutely, yeah. Getting a good night's sleep, but getting a restful sleep. Because that circadian rhythm is so important from going to sleep till, you know, when our body will naturally wake itself up. But also, if you're finding that you're sleeping for a couple of hours, then you wake up in the middle of the night, you can't get back to sleep again, you're going back to sleep, even though you're falling asleep on and off, those could also be relating back to those bags under the eyes. So make sure you get a good restful night's sleep. Make sure that you're using products that aren't too, almost like humectants. They're not naturally encouraging water intake because there's already so much retention in there. So you just want to kind of avoid those sorts of things. Massaging making sure that you're massaging from the, you know, sort of in the corners of the eye area all the way out into the temple. That will definitely help to remove any bags that could be there. And then alcohol, just make sure you're staying balanced on how much you're drinking. This time of year, I always find is a little bit tricky because people are attending parties and the different events and things like that. So there could be a little bit more of a higher consumption of alcohol. Okay. So those are the lifestyle things that we can do, and they may or may not work. But you're the skin expert. What can Mm -hmm. you do? What magic can you do if somebody comes in with bags under their eyes? I love massaging. I think it's the one thing that doesn't get enough credit. We can really encourage that fluid to kind of move away into those lymph nodes and then just drain them away. So I would say highly, like, massaging is really good. Now, when you massage with lymph, the one thing that you want to remember, you don't want to push too heavy because lymph actually sits quite a lot to the surface, Mm -hmm. so quite high in the surface of the skin. So you want to almost be gentle. So I'm going to do another visual for you. So if you had, like, a tank of water and you put your hand right on the top of the water and you just kind of did like a little sort of swaying action that's as much of the pressing as you want and then move it from the inner corner of the eye all the way out into the temples and then you can actually go all the way into the back like drain it all the way down into the back of the ears and then down into the clavicle near the shoulder bone how long would you do this for i would say trying to do it you know three to six times repeating that motion three to six times in that slow progressive movement i think that would be good this isn't an instant relief but you will notice that would be really good the other big thing that i love to do is add in my gua sha cryo sticks so this is a tool which combines cryo which is cold therapy in a gua sha ladle almost so this tool will really encourage that cooling calming soothing sensation and really help again drain away any of that fluid buildup 
Fantastic. Are there products out there other than the stick, but are there like balms or lotions or oils or anything that can be used to help? Yeah. So I think the one thing to remember is when we're talking about fluid retention underneath the eyes, as long as it's not medical and this is more cosmetic, use your eye products in the daytime only. And you want to look for products which are a thinner consistency. The thicker the consistency, the more of a humectant agent it has. So it's going to attract more water, which will then increase the amount of retention that you are seeing underneath the eye area. So look more towards watery-based serums rather than gels or creams for your eye products. The other thing that I love is eye patches. So I'll name an eye patch, which I really do truly love, which is 111 Skin. And they have these de-puffing eye patches. They're hydrogels, and you can basically pop them in your fridge about 10 minutes prior to application, pop them underneath the eye. And from a cosmetic perspective, that will really help. Again, that cryo will help calm and soothe that area down. But you'll notice that it will almost give you this visual of making everything look less inflamed, less puffy, and also just a lot more brighter and hydrated. So what is that? Is it like a little gel pack that goes under your yeah, eyes? Yeah, they're like little hydrogel patches, eye patches, and you can pop them underneath your eyes. I always say put them in the fridge before you do it. It kind of elevates that treatment feel. I personally combine it with my Gua Sha Cryostix, and it really helps, again, push the product into the eye area that much more better. But you will notice an instant difference. You can find them on my website as well. Are they reusable or is this like you use them? No, they're one-time use only. Okay. Yeah, they're one-time use, yeah. Okay, any other products you would recommend? I think that would be my ideal. So make sure you're using your eye products in the daytime only. You want to look for something in a thinner consistency. At nighttime, try and avoid any type of hydrators in that area. It's only going to make the swelling that much more worse when you wake up the following morning. Okay, time for one last question, and that is you alluded to plastic surgery. At what point do you think people should consider plastic surgery for bags under their eyes? If you've crossed off your checklist that there's nothing medical going on, if you've crossed off your checklist, you've done you know, the serums, you've done the eye patches, you've done the massaging, and nothing is working, at that point, if it really does aesthetically bother you, then that's when you want to go and see a plastic surgeon and see what they can offer you. It would be going under the knife, so just making sure that you're aware that it may require a little bit more downtime. Here's a question out of ignorance. Botox doesn't work for bags under the eyes, does it? No, Botox doesn't because Botox is a neuromodulator. So it's basically paralyzing the muscle from any type of movement, which would be more targeting any types of fine lines and wrinkles. This is more puffiness. So that's the reason that wouldn't work. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. What would you like to talk about the next time you're on? Let's talk about something around men. Oh. You guys don't get enough showtime here, I find. Okay. So how about men? Like, should we do something around men's skincare? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah? Okay, let's do that. Excellent. Sounds good. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Andy Donald, David Nelson, Tracy Sagrati, and V Mystery. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 
For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic Magazine. The November-December issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.